want to invite you to grab a Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. We're resuming our journey through the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we've already looked at these verses twice, and you may be wondering, why in the world are we going to look at them again? Frankly, as I was studying for this week, I began to wonder that myself. But then I realized there is still really significant truth here that still needs to be unpacked. And, uh, and because this, this stuff is so countercultural, um, it is so different from what our world believes and promotes and encourages And because the consequences are so serious, ignoring our Lord's wonderful counsel on romance and marriage and sex, it leads to so much unnecessary suffering. So once again, let's ask God to give us ears to hear and hearts to receive what he wants to say to us. Will you... Bow with me for prayer. Father in heaven, you you always desire our good. And so I pray that we would hear your word as good word today. Good words that we need to hear and understand and uh, trust and believe and live out. And we know that our hearts can be very stubborn. We pray you would overcome that stubbornness, you would overcome any defensiveness, any protectiveness we might have, and by your Spirit, give us the ability to treasure you in your truth. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Matthew 5, beginning at verse 27, down through 32. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but... I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife Let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. It occurs to me that Jesus would never make it as a politician in our world today. He is obviously not trying to win votes here. He is not telling us things that he thinks we want to hear. He's telling us things we need to hear, whether we like it or not. And uh, what he's doing at this point in the sermon, he's giving us example after example of God's true standards of righteousness in order to show us how we really need to live 
what his standards are. And even more importantly, to show us, to, to make us realize that the only possible way we can live this way is by coming to him and relying on him and trusting him to save us and to change us completely from the inside out. So real righteousness is never just an external thing. And here, he's doing that by talking about the seventh commandment. You shall not commit adultery. And again, if you don't know, adultery is when married people engage in sexual activity with someone other than their spouse. And see, many people at that time thought, and it's possible many people still think, that as long as you don't physically do that, then you're okay as far as this commandment's concerned. You've obeyed God. You've met his standard. You are righteous. But Jesus is saying, no, that's not true. When it comes to God's true standard, merely avoiding the outward act of adultery is is not enough. That doesn't do it. He says that just lusting for someone in your heart is a form of adultery. Now, we talked about that before. And now here in verses 31 through 32, Jesus says that divorce also leads to adultery. And immediately, this makes us all feel very uncomfortable because divorce is such a common thing. Many people have been through it. Maybe our parents went through it. Maybe someone we love very much went through it. So this connection that Jesus draws between Divorce and adultery, man, it's just, ah, it sounds so harsh. It sounds so unloving. But Jesus is never unloving. He never is. He's never ungracious. He always wants what's best for us. So I want us to encourage us to do something that doesn't come naturally on this topic. Because as soon as we read these verses, all kinds of questions just start bombarding our thoughts. We, we, we just think of all kinds of questions like, well, wait, 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 wait. What about this really hard situation or this hard situation or that? And, uh, you know, when is divorce okay if it ever is? And I want to encourage us just to take all those questions, even though they're valid, even though they're important, I want us to just set them aside. And instead, try first to really hear the heart of Jesus on this. Because his heart is always for us. Even when he says things that bother us. So what what is his point here? Well, it's not just that divorce isn't good. Divorce is bad. Hey, the people he was talking to knew that. And I think most people today know that. And I don't think you'd find very many people who would say, oh, yeah, you know, divorce, that's a great thing. Best thing that ever happened to me. No. And these people he's talking to, they knew, they knew God's 
thoughts on this. They knew God was against divorce. They, they have the verse in Malachi where God says, I hate divorce. So that's all true, but it's, it's not really his point here. You know what I think his point really is? Don't play games with God to justify doing something he doesn't want you to do. I think that's his point. Don't play games with God to justify doing something he doesn't want you to do. Now let me show you why I think that. Jesus says in verse 31 that it was said. That means it was taught. There were people who were teaching something, and this is what they were teaching. Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. That's what they were teaching. Now, read it carefully. What exactly was being said? Basically, if you're a married man and you want to divorce your wife, then give her a certificate of divorce. You want a divorce? Be sure you give your wife the right certificate. As if the important thing is the paperwork. As if what God is concerned about is the procedure. In other words, they're basically teaching that as long as you do divorce correctly, God's going to be okay with it. Now, where in the world would they get that idea? I want you to look at uh, another passage in Matthew in chapter 19, because this comes up again, because the religious leaders of the day had heard what Jesus had said here, and they didn't like it at all, and they went up and said, hey, wait. And they're saying, you know, well, what are the situations when it's okay to get a divorce? Those questions I was talking about earlier. And Jesus takes them way back to the beginning, to the book of Genesis, And he lays out what God's good design for marriage is. And he basically tells them to quit messing around with it. And then they say this, this question in verse 7 of chapter 19. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? Ah, so these guys are the ones teaching this idea that if you do the proper paperwork, if you get the procedure handled okay, then divorce is okay because Moses commanded it, they think. Okay, so question. Where does Moses command a certificate of divorce? Answer? Nowhere. Nowhere. They are misreading their Bibles. Okay, now, to see this, we've got to go to Deuteronomy chapter 24 in the law, the Torah, the law of Moses. Look at Deuteronomy 24. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and... He writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house. And if she goes and becomes another man's wife and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house or 
if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then her former husband, who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife. Okay. What's actually being commanded here? Well, what this is actually saying is that a man cannot remarry a woman he previously divorced if she married someone else. Now, why that is forbidden is another issue. Okay? The point to see here is that there's no command to give a certificate of divorce. It's just mentioned as something the guy does. It doesn't command him to do it. It'd be like this. Imagine there's a law like this. If you go to a Super Bowl party and you drink a six-pack of beer and you go driving and you get pulled over and your license is suspended, then you shall not drive again until you complete an alcohol treatment program. Now, what if somebody took that law and said, hey, check it out. This verse commands me to go to a Super Bowl party, drink a six-pack of beer, and go driving. (laughs) What would we say? We'd say, what? What are you, nuts? It doesn't say that. It doesn't command you to go drink a six-pack of beer and go driving. You're just doing what you want. You're just, you're just trying to find a way to justify doing what you want to do. The law doesn't command that. That's exactly the situation we have here. Okay? The law of Moses does not give a, us a command about proper divorce procedure. These men were misreading their Bibles. Why? Because they were trying to justify something they wanted to do. They wanted to find a way that they could go ahead and do what they wanted to do and feel okay about it. They wanted to find some way of doing what they wanted to do and be able to tell themselves, be able to believe, hey, God's okay with this. They are playing games with God. They're playing games with God's word. And, you know, this, this applies to so many other issues besides just divorce. Basically, this can apply to anything. We really, any issue where what we want to do, we're pretty sure God wouldn't approve of that because of something the Bible says, that God's not okay with that. And it is amazing how creative we can be trying to find ways to justify to do what we want to do and then convince ourselves God's going to be okay with that. Yeah, we can say, well, yeah, okay. I mean, I know the Bible says that. (laughs) I know the Bible says I shouldn't do that or I should do that. I know that. But you know what? Given my situation, I don't think that really applies my situation's different. My situation's unique. And hey, we don't want to be legalistic about this. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever played games with God? 
trying to find a way to get around what he wants you to do because that's what the Bible pretty clearly says. We can be pretty good at that. There's a, a very interesting statement about the human heart in Jeremiah 17, 9. And it's relevant because this kind of stuff always starts in the heart. Because what is it you really want to do? What is it you really want to do? If you're married... Do you want to keep your marriage vows? Do you want to try to do whatever you can do to make your marriage work? Or do you just want to find a way out? You know, I'm sure I can find a loophole here if I try. What do you really want to do? Or what do you want to want to do? I know, believe me, I've talked to enough people to know there are some really difficult situations. And I can understand not wanting to make it work. But do you want to want to? Here's what Jeremiah 17.9 says. The heart is deceitful above all else and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Look at that. The heart is deceitful. You know what that means? Your heart will lie to you. Your heart will lie to you. Your heart will tell you that something's okay, even when it isn't. It will try to trick you. That's deception. Your heart will try to trick you into believing that God's truth does not apply in your case. And that even though God says yeah or no, what he really means is yes. The heart is deceitful. How else can you explain the fact that these men who knew God's word forward and backward, who knew, they knew what God's good design for marriage is. You know, they had Genesis in their Bibles. They knew. One man, one woman, one flesh for life. They knew that. How could they possibly think that the only real problem with breaking that relationship apart is if you don't do it correctly? You fail to follow the proper procedures. Otherwise, hey, no problem. How could they think that? Deceitful hearts. Deceitful hearts. And we've all got one. Our deceitful hearts tempt us to play games with God, with God's words, hey, God's okay with this. And Jesus says, no, God's not okay with it. You guys are messing with God's design. I can't even imagine how shocked, how offended these religious leaders were when Jesus connected divorce and adultery. I, I can't even imagine. Because they thought they were so much better than that. They thought they were so much better than that. They would never violate Seventh Commandment in a million years. That's what they thought. And you know what's really amazing about this? Jesus is accusing them of worse than adultery. 
He says, everyone who divorces his wife except on the grounds of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. And now maybe you read that and you think, well, because it's talking about the wife being the one who commits adultery, that the focus is on her sin. She's the really bad one here. That's not what Jesus is doing. He's actually making the husband guilty of an even greater sin, that of leading someone else into sin. It's what the Bible calls being a stumbling block, enticing someone into sin, encouraging someone to sin, pushing someone into sin. And Jesus said, you'd be better off having a millstone tied around your neck and be thrown in the sea then lead someone into sin. But that's exactly what a husband was doing in this case by divorcing his wife because she would almost certainly get remarried in order to survive in that culture. She had very few options. So the very woman this man had promised, he had promised to love her, he had promised to protect her, he had promised to provide for her, this very woman he'd promised to love and protect and provide for, he's pushing into sin. How shameful. These words are brutal. This is like Jesus is questioning their manhood right here. He's getting in their faces. He is rattling their cages. He's saying, you guys are not nearly as righteous as you think you are. Why is he doing that? Well, his main reason, his main reason is to show them how much they need him. His main reason is to show them and to show us how much we need him to be our Messiah, to be our King, to be our Savior. They need Him to forgive their sin. They need Him to lead their lives, to help them do what seems so difficult. That's the main thing He wants. But He also wants to save their marriages. He wants to save their marriages. He wants them to realize how much God values, marriage, so that they'll stop playing games, so they'll stop treating marriage casually, so that they will start valuing marriage as much as he does. Ever think about it, why is God against adultery anyway? Hey, what's the big deal? That sounds like a really stupid question. I know that. And why is God against adultery? What's the problem? Why does he forbid it? It's not because he's against sex. We've been over that. It's because it's so unloving. It's so hurtful. It's breaking one of the most important promises you can ever make. See, God created marriage to be a picture of something amazing. That's why he made it. A living flesh and blood example. A full-color example, a living picture of something. 
God's relationship with his people. Ephesians 5.31. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. This is right out of Genesis. And the two shall become one flesh. Now look at this. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying, I'm saying that those verses in Genesis are referring to Christ and the church. Marriage is not ultimately about us. It's about Jesus and about his love for us. And see, marriage is showing that to the world. I love what that guy in that video clip said. He talked about how he felt the bar had just been raised. That if, if we don't do what we can to make our marriages what they ought to be, we're misleading the world. Hebrews 13, 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all. doesn't just say married people. Among all. If we don't honor marriage, whether we're married or not, if we don't, if, well, if we do, if we play games with God's good design, if we treat marriage casually, if we act like those vows for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, if we act like those didn't really mean anything, it's like we're spreading a falsehood. We're giving the people, we're giving people the wrong idea of what Jesus' love is really like. Now, <clears throat> it is true that Jesus mentions an exception here. There are biblical exceptions. There are. But it's important to remember that exceptions are not something to want. They're not something to seek. They're something to deal with only when we have to. Exceptions should be exceptional. Our first inclination should not be to look for ways to get around what Jesus is saying. Looking for a way out. That would be missing his heart on this. As I said, I know there are very, very difficult situations. And there are situations that end up almost forcing people to wrestle with the issue of exceptions. But that's never where we start. We start by doing what we can praying that the Lord will enable us to fulfill his good design, to do what we can. Now maybe what Jesus says here has upset you. Maybe it's opened some old wounds. Maybe you struggle with guilt about some way that you've played games with God's good design. Maybe about his good design for marriage. Maybe about something else. Okay, please hear this. Jesus does not want to destroy you with guilt. He wants to restore you with his mercy and his grace. You know, one of the very first people that Jesus offered his free gift of salvation to, his free gift of eternal life to, one of the very first people 
he extended that gracious message to was a woman who had been married and divorced five times and was currently living with a guy she wasn't married to. And Jesus said to her, boy, you know, if you'll just admit you're thirsty, I'll give you living water. I'll forgive your sin. I'll satisfy your thirst. We all need to do that. We all need to do that because we've all trashed God's good design about something at some point in some way. So come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Admit whatever games you've played. Whatever games you've played with God, however you've broken his standards, ask him to forgive you and ask him to help you honor his standards and follow his standards from this point on. Now, you know about the uh, Art of Marriage Marriage Conference because we had that little preview and it's been in your folders and we've been talking about it now for weeks. I want to invite you to apply this message very practically and help us honor marriage. This coming Tuesday, we're having a day of fasting and prayer. We don't do this very often because nobody likes to fast. I don't. But we're inviting you to skip one or two or three meals and use the time you would ordinarily eat and pray for the people who will be coming to this conference. And in your worship folder, there's two sheets of paper Here's what those are for. You write the same thing on both of them. You put your name, because hopefully you're coming, and then you put the names of some people you want to invite and you're planning to invite, because I hope you're doing that too. So if you'd like to do this, this will help us pray much more effectively. And what we're going to do is, on the day of fasting and prayer, we're inviting you to pray throughout the day. And then come and meet us here in this room, 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock on Tuesday night. And we're just going to pray for those people. Pray for the people you want to invite. Pray for you to invite them. And pray that God will do a great work because marriage is such a big deal to God. And listen, you're not ratting your friends out by putting their name on the list. It's not like you think, oh, boy, their marriage is terrible. I better put them on the list. Your marriage doesn't have to be terrible to need to come to this conference at all. You might have a great marriage. Come anyway, because it could be better. Pretty sure. Ask your spouse. <laughs> so your name and the name of the people you want to invite, you're not ratting them out. You're just giving us a way to pray for them. Okay? And then we're going to do that. Let's pray. i got to quit. Lord Jesus, thank you for your mercy and grace. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.